You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCart. We're glad you could join us this week as we dig into the Netflix documentary, Descendant. This was done in 2022. It's one hour and 49 minutes long, and it's directed by Margaret Brown. This one is about the descendants of the Clotilda. There are some heavy topics. There are some light topics. This was not really what I expected. I don't know what I expected. I think I expected it to be a lot heavier than it was. Right. But it was really good about educating without necessarily making me cry every five minutes, which I'm one to do with documentaries that are right. that are about right. people being treated horribly. Well, you hear that it's about a slave mm-hmm. ship, an illegal slave ship. And so you're like, oh, this is ripe with topics that are difficult to discuss really in any setting. But I liked the fact that there were difficult topics, but it wasn't necessarily the ones that I was expecting it right. to be. <laughs> so, yeah. But I thought there were some really great examples of advocacy from the descendants and the people around mm-hmm. them that I hadn't expected. And I really liked that about it. So, yeah, let's dive in. So there's a gentleman named Kamal. He is a master diver. He works in a project for specifically looking for slave wrecks, which I was like, that is completely fascinating. Mm-hmm. What an interesting thing to do with your time. He discusses that there are 40,000 plus voyages made during the trade. And that translates to about 12,000 plus vessels. Each vessel has its own unique story and not all of those are known. So he's talking about there are artifacts from each of the slave vessels because people brought some things with them from Mm -hmm. home. So there are relics, there are things to discover. And so when you're able to find these ships, you find out a little bit more about the story and possibly translating to where the people came from. And so, you know, it's kind of a rediscovery of history for folks. And that seems to be of vital importance, which is another thing I hadn't really considered about this, just because it's not part of my everyday experience. But I really appreciated that, that they explained that to me. And I was like, that is heartbreaking It is to think about not having that connection to your history. So I thought that was really important that they pointed that out. So in July of 2018, there becomes a more coordinated search effort to look for the Clotilda. The international slave trade in the United States was abolished in 1808. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean slavery was abolished. It means they were no longer allowed to bring in new people. I mean, you could (laughs) still breed the people and keep the people you had. This ship was brought in after that, illegally. There's a couple stories that go with it, and they tell a couple stories. But Mm -hmm. the story goes that Timothy Mayer was a very prominent family in Mobile, Alabama, made a bet that after slavery was abolished, that he could still bring Africans into the country. So, as they say, he went and got a bunch of Africans. 
Well, he didn't really. I don't know if he was on the ship. I know Captain William Foster was on the ship. Mm-hmm. He built the Clotilda, probably not all by himself. <laughs> he commissioned it, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Him and a hammer and nail. Right on. And they went to Dahomey, which is now Benin in Africa, and captured these individuals and brought them back to Mobile Bay. They kept some and sold the rest. And then they, to hide the crime, because it was a crime punishable by death at the time. Yeah, high stakes. They burnt the ship so it would not be found. And this has gotten handed down through generations, right? There's no direct evidence that this was a thing, but it is well known among the descendants, which is what this whole thing centers on, Mm -hmm. that there were 110 captives aboard, but again, no real physical evidence. So the direct descendants are living in a, they, what is, how did you interpret this? Like they were able to find their own, space it seems to have been given to them or they bought it begrudgingly it's not like they were welcomed into town but because they of the timing of this right so this was 1860 1865 right as kind of the emancipation proclamation and the civil war was going on and so the people that were brought over as captives did not remain in slavery a long time not to say it wasn't significant but then they were able to kind of do some other things. Mm-hmm. So they founded a spot called Africa Town. It has some different names depending on the time frame we're talking about. Right now it's called Plateau or at one point it was called Plateau. Mm-hmm. So there's some history involved here with the folks that cur- or currently live there descended from people that this mm-hmm. happened to directly. And so they have a lot of family tradition and um, kind of oral history around this. So. Yeah. And that's what I love is because originally they were told these Africans from the ship were told not to talk about this mm-hmm. period because mm-hmm. they would be killed if they talked about it. So it was right. talked about in very hushed tones within the family. Mm-hmm. And it was passed down orally. Like you said, this oral history of their family to make sure that they kept that history. Mm hmm. But it was never formally documented. So this oral history is all they have of their ancestry, right? And I think the fact that it was highly discouraged comes from the fact that they, you know, there's an inherent allegation <laughs> against a powerful white family in mm-hmm. this area. And so to keep this alive was risky for folks mm-hmm. and how brave they are to have kind of done it anyway yeah at least Mm -hmm. at least within their own families and their own communities Mm -hmm. because you're right they do have they still live on the lands that their ancestors bought that was far enough outside of mobile and outside of the city that they wouldn't be messed with and so they're able to get this land and keep this land and like lewis's quarter um, Mm -hmm. and stuff like that that was originally purchased like in 1870 And they were able to keep it in the family. And I think that's amazing. And people have a, there's a lot of pride in this community Mm -hmm. about being descended from such strong people. And there's a lot of emphasis on keeping the land. There's a lot of tax records and things like that, that people struggled Mm -hmm. or, or did what they could to keep what they could 
there's some problems with that because of, as you probably are aware, it's um, having land gives you a voice, but yep. there's been a lot of pressure on them over time to give up the land or it's just kind of usurped by um, other forces <laughs> mm-hmm. going forward. But the descendants really have a great sense of um, self and of pride in who they are and their story. And I think it's really cool to, to see that there's some footage of, the older generation speaking because we do have um, some folklorists and some historians that are capturing this the best that they can. Can I just say, I didn't know that being a folklorist was an occupational choice. And had I known that, I think I would have done that and not chemistry. As much as I love science, that (laughs) sounds like so much more fun. Right. Because this is the second time we've kind of run into a folklorist Mm -hmm. in our tenure as podcasters. (laughs) But yeah, there's kind of new emphasis or there has been different emphasis than we've experienced on preserving old stories. And I dig that. I love it. I am amazed that they have footage. So the last known living survivor of the Clotilda was a man named Kudja Lewis. And there's some footage of him shot in 1928 by a writer and another folklorist named Zora Neale Houston. Now, she's considered the first Black filmmaker. She worked throughout the Deep South collecting Black stories and dances and traditions to try to memorialize them, so to speak. She often would take these songs that she heard and sang them herself on tape. Mm -hmm. She had a beautiful voice. Mm -hmm. She met with Kujo several times and carefully transcribed his memories in his own dialect, which I love. She titled the manuscript Barracoon. It was supposed to be published in 1931. Was it published in 1931, Erin? Um, it sure wasn't. She got some grief about translating it out of the dialect which Kajo mm-hmm. used. So I think that it just kind of got pushed to the wayside and brought out decades later. In 2018. It was published in 2018, mm-hmm. guys. Also, mm-hmm. I want to point out that I did purchase this book after seeing this. So... I'm excited to read it. Okay. I am so excited that you did that because I, I, I would like to join in okay. on that. So Zora died in 1960. She was buried in like an unmarked grave in a segregated um, mm-hmm. cemetery in Florida. But I love that Alice Walker, who wrote one of my favorite books of all time, The Color Purple, and mm-hmm. she discovered the manuscript and started championing it. Championing it. That's a really hard word to say. Uh, that's, a, that's a good one. Yeah. For its release. And she also located her grave and made sure she got a proper headstone. That Alice Walker. Mm-hmm. One classy cat. Yeah. She's mm-hmm. a good egg. That's for sure. So the folklorist we mentioned a little while ago, his name is Kern mm-hmm. Jackson. At least that's the mm-hmm. one I captured here. Um, he's got a video of a lady named Martha West. Um, there's also a Mabel Dennis recounting stories that weren't widespread. So it's really important to capture different versions of this because there's probably a little nugget of truth hiding in there. And as people compare their stories, um, I think more will come Mm -hmm. to light. You know, there are several excerpts read by descendants of Barracoon in this documentary. So they're talking about being given clothing. They're talking about being sailed up the river and divided up. Which is difficult to listen to. I mean, it's good to have it. Yeah. it's. I, I imagine reading yeah. this book, I will cry several times. 
several times over and and yeah. as you should to be able to feel the emotion of what these people mm-hmm. have gone through i i can't even begin to imagine how horrible it is to be stolen from your home <laughs> and right. then treated so poor i just yep a first-hand account, I think, is not something we're often exposed to right. for this, so it's really important, yes. and I'm glad that um, we'll have a chance to kind of read someone else's experiences, mm-hmm. even if they are difficult, to, to be uh, kind of, to listen in on, right? Because right? you experience stuff with people when you read a book. That's the point right? of it. <laughs> to learn so, and grow. Absolutely. Yeah. It's my yeah. job mm-hmm. to teach myself more about this history that we weren't taught it is no one else's job but mine but Mm -hmm. they've given me resources and I appreciate that (laughs) right right so they have decided like you said recently I mean on and off throughout the centuries they've kind of centuries no decades they've looked for the Clotilda (laughs) I mean technically it spans at least one century (laughs) so right (laughs) I don't know if that wrong yeah but they do have a gathering now. There, there's more support from the state itself. We have Vivian Figures, who's a state senator, mm-hmm. saying we're going to find the Clotilda, like mm-hmm. cheerleadering this all the way. Right. Sorry. Fred Hybert is an archaeologist for the National Geographic. I love that. And he talks to this group of descendants that are gathered. And James Delgado, I've heard that name before. I don't know where, okay. but he's a marine archaeologist and he works for a company called Search. They're working to lo- locate the Clotilda. And I think what they do oftentimes is search for missing people as well. I think that's where I've heard his name. I could just gotcha. make that up. So, Okay. But he talks about they're going to search an area of the river that's never been surveyed. Like everywhere else has been, but not this one particular area, which I find interesting. But we'll find out later on there might have been some subterfuge going on. So... <laughs> Who could have guessed? I know. Yeah. But our friend Kamau will also be working along with the team because he is, like you said, also a scuba diver who looks for a slave ship wreckage. Right. So this is a really nice, I'm going to call it a marriage of all the people with the right mm-hmm. skill sets, right? Like people who are skilled in looking for these particular kinds of ships. So they kind of, I would think you would be able to recognize things underwater if you are the searcher. Right. You know what I mean? Like your eyes are practiced at that kind of stuff. And then the people who are kind of consulting the records and seeing what makes sense and mm-hmm. where to look. And I just thought that was a really cool approach. I don't know why. I just think that they're just like jumping in and like, <laughs> we're just going to swim up the entire river and see what we find. Yep. <laughs> right. I was like, I've been watching like way too many movies <laughs> about this kind of I shit. I think if so. we learned anything mm-hmm. from the Kim Walls case is that shit's hard to find in the water. So takes a long time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause it's dark and it's weird under there. And like, I assume everything is just spooky as fuck. So. And, and can we put this in perspective? This is the Alabama like swamp <laughs> bayou area. There's got to be like crocodiles or Gators, alligators yeah. or something in there. And no, right. thank you. No. Scary, scary. Mm-mm. Can we talk about Joyce Lynn Davis? Yes. Okay, first of all, I love her. Mm-hmm. I love her big wooden African earrings that have mm-hmm. like a circle in the country of Africa cut out. They're amazing. Love them. But at the beginning of this, she's all like, listen, I don't want all the momentum to be focused on the ship. It isn't all about that ship. She actually said, I couldn't care less about that ship. Yep, she sure did. What I also like about what she said was, she's like, 
when we're asked how we feel, she's like, why don't you ask how the, the people who built the ship feel? Oh, yeah, that would be a really, really good question to ask, okay. but they don't. I've been thinking about this the whole time, and I'm like, are they like, are they at the grocery store together? You know, I just, that would be really awkward, right? Being from the same town. I don't know how yes. big Mobile is, but there has to be some interaction with people on very opposite sides of this situation. Right. Well, she made a comment. She said the people from the mayor family and like the foster mm-hmm. family, they're still here, but they don't interact. She's like, I couldn't pick them out of a crowd. Could walk right by them in the grocery store, but I'm guessing mm-hmm. that upper, upper, upper crust white family is not shopping at the same I mean, grocery store. I know. But she said, I have never met a family that can keep their mouth shut that well. Girl, copy that. Right. Well, I mean, again, I say to you, this is a self-preservation thing. In my opinion, they have a Mm -hmm. big motivation to, you know, kind of keep it it wrapped up. So it would be interesting to hear the story they were told, though. So you have an oral history on this side about Mm -hmm. the people who came from Africa and the descendants and how they were descended from them. It would be really interesting to hear the other side. Now, we don't in this documentary, which is unfortunate. But I would love to hear how they told it to their family because surely it's twisted to something else. Of course. I mean, I I think that that's the way the human mind works. You do things that Mm -hmm. kind of preserve your vision of yourself. Right. And you're not going to roast yourself for this. So Mm -hmm. they were contacted though and ask to either participate or be a comment at the very least. And they did Mm -hmm. not. So let's say that, you know, make sure that that part is, on yeah they were given an option an opportunity so talking about the Mm -hmm. mayor family they have a trust which is essentially called chippewa lakes i think yeah lake sounds like a butter company it does and we find out that africatown is completely surrounded like literally in every direction by some form of heavy industry or another you have there was a pcb manufacturer for a mm-hmm. while, there was a lead smelter. There was a DOD hazardous waste dump. Jesus fucking Christ. International Paper Company. They mm-hmm. have waves of chemical refineries related to the paper industry. They have lumber yards. They have, it's just, they're surrounded by what they call zone two, which is the most permissive zoning. Why is that even an option? And it was my question. So again, <laughs> I feel like this is casting the mayor family in a little bit of a villainous light, right? A little bit demonizing. They're not saying that. They're just like laying out like, look, these appear to be the facts as we can find them in the records, right? So they are leasing to these companies in a direct contact with a community of people. And Mm -hmm. there are some consequences for the folks that are living here who are dealing with this level of pollution in their midst all the time. We definitely get a sense that there are higher cancer rates than are probably normal or natural. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of folks that are being affected by this. That is not a new story. There are lots of examples around the country of mm-hmm. poorer, less affluent communities being potentially victimized in this way because they just, you know, they don't hold the cards. They can't 
make these calls. And so the land around them is gobbled up and used for unfavorable things. Yeah. Well, they're mm-hmm. disposable, right? I mean, that, that's, those people yeah. are disposable. So here's my issue with this. Well, I have a lot of issues with this, I, general, but yeah, the fact that they put environmental regulations in place in like the late seventies, early eighties. Right. And they started cleaning mm-hmm. this shit up. And the fact that they can still get away with such egregious dumping of hazardous material mm-hmm. and whatnot blows my mind. And I understand that it all comes down to capital, but like I say, if, if you're going to start a business and you can't afford to pay your people a living wage, then your business plan is shit. Right. I, mm-hmm. It's the same thing. If you're going to start a, a, a chemical business, but you can't afford to properly store and dispose of the waste produced, then your business plan is shit. Let's be honest. They can't afford to do that. They choose not to because they want more profits and they don't care about the people it affects right. because it doesn't affect them. I think a lot of this too might have a legality issue like of permitting. So most industries, from my understanding, have a permit and they can mm-hmm. dump as appropriate or whatever. It's like when they get over the line of what their limits are, then it causes the authorities to come in and have beef with it, right? So if you're saying that these are very permissibly zoned and things mm-hmm. like that, that might be the difference between what's legal and what ends up being like your super fun sites that the railroad or whatever mm-hmm. is cleaning up for years and years and years because there Love was canal. Yeah. yeah, I mean, stuff like that. So that could be part of what we're seeing is they they're there. Everything is, you know, up and up. It's just morally questionable. Yes, that's my thing is absolutely. I'm sure they're like, oh, we've been inspected. We're by the book, which is probably also not true. That's loosey goosey, surely. Mm -hmm. But it's the moral obligation that they seem to not give a fuck about. And I cannot tolerate that. I just don't understand that. Well, it's the cost of human life, like you said, against, um, you know, how it affects my bottom line. And the answer is it shouldn't, those shouldn't be equal or weighable against one another. It should be the, Mm -hmm. the human cost that outweighs everything else. And we just will not learn that lesson. So awesome. No, this is probably why we, why we are not in business. Yeah. We just don't have that killer instinct. Literally. Mm -hmm. Literally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I do want to point out that it's widely, they had said it is widely believed among the African town community that the proximity of the heavy industry is to blame for the high incidence of cancer and other health issues. International Paper closed its Africatown plant in 2010. In 2017, a group of over a thousand plaintiffs sued the company, citing years of reckless release of hazardous chemicals into the air and soil. International Paper denied all allegations, shocked, but agreed to a settlement. The plaintiffs are said to have received as little as $200 each. 200 motherfucking dollars? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. It's gas to one doctor's appointment? Thanks. Mm-mm. Right. Infuriating. Yeah, there's nothing good down that road. Yeah. Mm-mm. So throughout this documentary, they are working on these two kind of separate but interlocking stories. So mm-hmm. we have the history of the Clotilda and trying to find it, but also the current issues that Africatown is having and the descendants and how this is still affecting them. The same families are still affecting the same families. I mean, from a global view, yes, that's exactly how it's working out. Yeah. At what point can you stop fucking the same 
family over and over again. I mean, I, you know, it's hard to say because they, they didn't really come forward. I would have given them marks for bravery. Mm-hmm. That would have been an interesting thing to hear explained. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, it's not technically illegal from what they've been able to discover. It's just really unsavory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, I don't it know is. what else to say. We do get a reading from the book Barracoon, and I kind of wanted to read this. Now, I'm not going to read it in his dialect. I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to tell you what was said. There was a passage about Kujo talking to Captain Tim. So Tim, Timothy Mayer, and this was after the emancipation. And Kujo was nominated by the rest of the Clotilda survivors Mm -hmm. to go talk to Captain Tim. At one point, they're sitting there together, or Kudja was chopping wood, and Captain Tim asked him, why are you so sad? Really, dude? Anyway, he said, Kudja said he was sad because he missed his home, and Tim said, but you have a good home. And I thought, the disconnect there, that's amazing, Mm -hmm. first and foremost. Yeah, a lot of problems. So starting strong. And Kudja says, Captain Tim, you took us from our country where we had land. You made us slaves, now they make us free. But we don't have any country. We don't have any land. Why don't you give us a piece of this land so we can build ourselves a home? Mm-hmm. And he said, fool, do you think I'm going to give you property on top of property? I took good care of my slaves and therefore I owe them nothing. You don't belong to me now. Why must I give you my land? <sighs> the anger I felt when I heard that, I took good care of my slaves. So I don't owe you nothing. Bitch, you stole me. From my home. At least send me back or something. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, you could write a dissertation on this. Like, one sentence, right? Yeah. For whatever good it's going to do. It's an acceptance of the fact that this should never have happened in the first place. <laughs> but that, you know. But but to him, he had the right, right? He, as a white man, had the right to do this. Yeah. In his opinion. So, could you call the people together and told them when timothy mayor said and they said we'll buy our own land and that's what they did they founded africa town in this small community and they were able to kind of stay together and keep their culture together and keep their community together which is nice to at least be surrounded by people who knew the same like went Mm -hmm. through what you went through and knew where you came from and could remember that with you i think that probably meant a lot well, I'm also guessing that, number one, they probably had a struggle to buy land because I don't know that there was really a great system put in place for them to be able to, like, get a good job or whatever. Right, you know what right. I mean? Also, when you're rebuffed in that way, rejected even, I would think you would want to hang out with like-minded folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you ready to talk about Ben Rains and Joe Turner? Yeah, we can talk about that. So Ben Rains, local reporter, was kind of digging around in Captain Foster's papers. This is the sailing captain. I don't know what else to say. Mm -hmm. There are kind of some different recountings of where the ship was burned. So there's an initial interview and then some 20 years later, something like that, there's a different interview and they are not aligned. Mm -hmm. So Ben in his infinite wisdom kind of understands that it might not be in everybody's best interest on part of this one side of the story for it to be found. Mm -hmm. And so maybe there was sort of a smoke screen bit going on here. Yeah. So 
he's working with Joe Turner, who's the owner of East Bay Automotive and Marine something something. And they're saying that, yeah, the influential people in this town don't want the ship found. So they're trying to throw people off. Mm -hmm. So those two get in cahoots. And they actually are the ones that are credited with finding the Clotilda on May 22nd of 2019. Okay. I have a couple of things to say about this. I'm glad that it was found. Absolutely. But there's a picture of Ben holding mm-hmm. up a piece of wood. And you can hear who I think it's Kern or Kamau is like, dude, you don't just fuck with an archaeological site like that. You don't just take pieces up out of the water. You don't. Yes. Because this is a reporter. He's not trained to, you know, document or, or do whatever you do to an archaeological site. But he was so excited he found it. And also, he seems to have a little bit of a white savior complex. Did you get that? Um. Yeah. And I, I even wrote in here later, I was like, can you just please shut up? Right. <laughs> It's not about no, you. No, but it is. Yeah, Every time was, he talks, oh, I found it. I found the ship. I found it. I found the ship. Thanks, Ben. Move on. Right. Like, maybe let other people in a little bit. Yeah. And he's like, no one was searching for it. I'm like, but they were. They were. But calm down. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I'm glad you said something because that, that was on my mind to kind of speak about a little bit later. We do talk to a guy named Joe Womack, who is an activist for Africatown. He mentions that this is the only instance of a slave ship that was found off the coast of the United States. Isn't that bizarre? Crazy, right? Yes. Yeah. The descendants seem pleased, right? Mm-hmm. Joycelyn didn't seem to love it initially, but it seems like she really comes on board now. Like maybe it's the excitement. Maybe it's the possibilities kind of some doors are opened for this, but she really seems to kind of have, a little bit of a story arc here and she's evolved in her kind of uh, perspective for what it means and what it could mean. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was interesting that they shared that. I loved so much that the beginning, she was like, fuck that ship. And once they found it, she's the one calling all the descendants saying we found the ship. Right. And so I can imagine she discusses a little bit later, you know, they grew up with the story and they were told their whole lives, you have to continue mm-hmm. the story. You have to continue. And it's almost an obligation, right? You're just like, whatever, especially when you're a teenager or whatever, you don't want any part of that. But, and, and it's just a story. So once they found it, that made it real to her. It made it tangible and everything they said was true. And I think it just kind of hit home. I mean, if people have been looking for so long and they haven't found it, you're like, well, fuck it. They're not going to find it, whatever. Right. So I love that. She was like, okay, this is part of me and my history and my ancestor's history. And she really embraced it. And I loved it. I love her. Sure. Yeah. She was great. Mm -hmm. Joe Turner, who was the uh, owner of the East Bay Automotive, also white, by the way. What I think is hilarious about this is he's like, listen, the book of secrets is now going to be opened and everything's going to spill out and everyone's going to know. And I'm like, seriously, dude. I don't think so. They've worked this long and hard to keep these secrets squashed. (laughs) Pretty sure that they're going to keep their mouth shut as long as possible. They don't want the responsibility. Yeah, I think the finding of the Cotelda makes a lot of things real, right? Mm -hmm. Real for the descendants. Yeah. I think it would be gratifying to be able to be like, look, world, we told you. Yeah. But also, I think there must be mixed emotions, too, because it would be really difficult to have some of those other feelings about, wow, this is real. 
Yeah. You know, my, people in my family experience things, you know. Yes. And then I think about kind of the other side of it, too, where it's like, well, fuck, now are we going to be held somewhat accountable for some of these things? Like, which they discuss a little mm-hmm. bit later, sort of. But I guess I, I just think of what a, a large moment that would have been to kind of get to that physical proof that this was a thing. Oh, right. Now you can move forward, mm-hmm. right? Because before there was nothing you could do but talk about it. But now you have something tangible to move forward. And like a lot of them discuss the healing can begin, right? They felt like they couldn't really begin to heal until they had this. And so anything that will help that process, I think, is a good thing. Sure. We talked to Nick Tabor, who's a journalist, and he starts looking into a little bit, just digging into some of the documents. And apparently there was a cat named Jack Friend who was an amateur historian back in the day, and he was hoping to find the Clotilda, but clearly he didn't. It was like, I think, what, mm-hmm. the 60s or something? Yes. But he was going off information from the mayor family because he, like, shared an office building with them or something. And so, of course. Right. They had some business connections. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then Nick finds a document from one mayor junior to his father, mayor. I don't remember their names, nor do I care. <laughs> but it's interesting because it actually reads, it says, on this date, I received a call from RV Williams intended for you. After speaking with you, I informed him that you felt the vessel simply should be left to rest in peace. He seemed to agree, commenting on how expensive it would be to raise even a portion of it. He reports that he had no problem locating the vessel as the stubs of the foremast protrude above the waterline in low water. So they knew exactly where it was the whole time. Right. They chose to lead people astray so they wouldn't find it. I like that they're like, well, we'll just leave it in peace as if it's, it's for the benefit of anybody else. Right. Right. (laughs) I mean, surely everyone else would agree with this, right? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This part of our painful history, um, we'll just left Really, sleeping dogs lie. That's a, that's the whole, if they had just wrote that out, that would be perfect. Yes. <laughs> Fuckers. Fuckers. All right. So May 29th, 2019, there's a National Geographic press conference. Jim Delgado speaks again. Mm-hmm. What I love is he talks about, was the ship the Clotilda that they found? Yes, they believe it was. Mm-hmm. They believe the colleagues were. And they sent information and everything they brought together to... Others around the world for peer review. Listen, I can get behind a good peer Love review. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone agreed that this is the Clotilda. There was this sign, There were signs of disturbance at the wreck. So this is what bothered me even more. So not only was the ship mm-hmm. set on fire, but at some point in time after that, years later, someone tried to blow it up with dynamite. Oh my God. People. It's another example of bad behavior, right? Like you, you know what the implications are going to be if this is found. And so (sighs) we're going to take care of it. It's like a little bit mob style, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a bit much. And even though they did that at one point, they, they comment at some point in the documentary that it's one of the most intact slave ships ever found. And I'm like, even after being caught on fire and dynamited, that speaks volumes. Well, I mean, okay, so... If you light it on fire and it sinks, that's when the flames go out. So it's possible that there was only part of it was damaged. You know, it's not burning underwater. Yeah, I just, 
I absolutely love the fact that they used some historical records to like make sure the ship was at the same length and mm-hmm. they were looking for fire damage and also the dynamite and it was reviewed by the experts. Mm-hmm. Can I just please talk about Fred the archaeologist for just a second because they unveil an illustration, an illustration of what the ship looked like mm-hmm. and he calls it wonderful and James Delgado is like, well, but maybe not, maybe not wonderful. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of like trying to remember the kind of um, implications you know, this of is a serious moment. Yes, yes, yes. And this is, I think, what he meant was it was a, it was a wonderful rendering, a nice drawing. Yes. yes, but the subject matter is real, real rough because it's like a sailing ship. It's on the water. There's like a cross section broken out and you can see the enslaved people Mm -hmm. in the underneath part Mm -hmm. and it really drives it home what we are talking about here yeah it seems to affect the descendants quite a bit i know that verna or vita Mm -hmm. tunstall is just almost hypnotized by it right she said i cannot quit looking i i cannot quit thinking about the experiences of people on the ship not by choice. Mm-hmm. And it was just really a, a stark, I don't know, a reminder is not the right word, but just a stark moment where you're like, shit, this was real. And it was tough. It's so hard. Have you ever been to a museum that had an exhibit on the slave trade? I don't believe so. It's so important if you get a chance to see one. I've seen a couple different ones done a couple different ways and both of them were very good and detailed. They did not sugarcoat it. Mm -hmm. But they also were very good about showing the positive after. Like these people survived. These people went on and did amazing things. But they should not have had to go through that. It's so fucking hard to think how anyone can sobering yeah how can anyone look at a human being <laughs> and say this is how we're going to treat them i i will never understand that i will never understand that yeah i'm um, sobering the only word i've got for you um yeah. i have a sweet baby heart and mm-hmm. i want to go and understand more i will probably sob oh i did yeah like a fool but yeah it is what it is you have to learn and it's not easy and i'll never see these people again so they won't call me out they'll just say some stupid (laughs) white woman crying at the goddamn museum right right (laughs) i hope they sell a lot of kleenex there so (laughs) right so they do start talking about reparations a little bit here and it's interesting because i like how our friend kamal is like listen you as a community have to figure out what justice means to you it's going to mean something a little bit different for everybody but you as a community have to figure that out And they talk a little bit about that later. Mary Elliott, who's a curator of the Smithsonian's National Museum of African-American History and Culture. That's a huge title. It really is. But she's amazing. And she's like, listen, don't stop telling your stories. Just because this has been found, keep telling your stories. Keep telling others your stories. Now it's okay to share Mm -hmm. them. Don't just keep it in the family. I thought the part about reparations was really interesting because it's a big topic Mm -hmm. and I've heard it often, Mm -hmm. uh, but there really aren't a lot of specifics. So I liked the fact that they were kind of looking at what possibly could we be talking about here. Vita talks about how would that work? Again, what is the justice piece of it? What does that mean? Because the man who's responsible, which is Timothy Mayer, you know, Timothy Mayer Mm -hmm. is no longer here. Mm -hmm. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of 
I don't know, call for like vigilanteism. There's, there's none of that. There's kind of a dignified outlook by the descendants on like, okay, we're not here to punish current people, but I think maybe we need to look at what could be done possibly. So Carlos Finney, who is a municipal judge, I think Mm -hmm. he talks a couple times in this and he says, you know, there's no one to punish criminally, but maybe civilly, maybe there's something to be done. There could be specific things were handed down from the original benefit of bringing you know, captives over here, they specifically mm-hmm. mentioned that maybe $150,000 at the time, which was like, I don't even know what the conversion is. So that's what he would have gotten for bringing these Africans over. So what does that look like now? I think that's sort of what they were thinking. I was really, I appreciated that they spelled it out for me because I didn't mm-hmm. understand what we were talking about. So I felt like I learned something in that moment. Right. Well, reparations is a big overarching subject for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Now it's easier to look at this very small group and say, well, we know who did this to us. And you're right. That $150,000, then it's, it's generational wealth, right? It gets passed down and it grows and passed down and it grows and it grows. And so, (laughs) yeah, there should be, there should be some reparations, but there's another reason why that family won't come forward because they'll put that off as long as possible. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it was just really nice to understand some specifics in this case of what it might look like. And right. nobody is, you know, they're just, they're just having a, an intellectual discussion Absolutely. about it. Yep. And I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really funny that mayor Sandy Stimson was kind of at this press conference or something similar. And he's talking about, you know, there's a great celebration planned in Africa town. And there's some discussion that comes from this about how will the descendants be dis- I mean, included in some of the tourism stuff that might come from the Clotilda's discovery. Right. And I am fascinated by a tourist thing here. Like mm-hmm. that's an interesting Thing to think about. Well, and that is a way to bring money into the community. So I yeah. get that and get your story out. So it's a combination. But they also mentioned that Major Stimson's family historically has been a major landowner of Africa Town. So right his uh, perspective slightly skewed. And Veda had talked about how she's trying to be joyous. She's trying to feel happy about this, but she unfortunately is worried that who is going to benefit from the tourism because is the city going to come in and start buying up property and then essentially gentrifying, pushing these people out. And then they're going to be the ones to benefit from all the tourism. And by the time the people stop celebrating the finding of the Clotilda, it might be too late. So they need to recognize early on what's happening and hopefully put a stop to it. So it doesn't happen. And they are the ones who directly benefit from this, not anyone else. Because no one else should, yes. right? One hundred percent. And I, I love that they're thinking ahead mm-hmm. on this. I think it's really important, and it seems that they have been aware. This is the descendants in Africa Town have been aware for some time that they have to be very outspoken and very sharp, mm-hmm. and not give anything to anybody because they've been victimized this whole time. Like people have been taking their stuff. The whole time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just don't know. That 
that would just be a tough road to have to be like, well, <laughs> just constantly fighting uphill, right? At some point, yeah, how tired you must be of fighting, you know? Yeah. So I cannot, I cannot think of the gentleman's name. He is down later um, teaching scuba diving, but he takes us to the lynching memorial, which I didn't know was a thing. And it sounds oh, like a tough one to see. Right. I have him as Anderson Flynn. And the Lynching Museum, I also have it as the National Memorial for Peace and Justice yes. in Montgomery. Yes. And he had such a great point. Absolutely. That all of these people come and witness this. They kind of come in, they visit, they absorb. But then what do they do? So they come and see, but what do they do with this information? Mm -hmm. And he almost implies that it's a new form of entertainment. And I was like, oh, that's cringe. Yeah. They just, they leave the information behind. They don't do anything once they leave. And, and I, I know I absolutely have been someone who has gone and seen something at a museum that I learned. And what did I do with that knowledge? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So I get it. But there are people who are not even willing to go. So I think having these sites telling the story is part of the process. Mm -hmm. And then I think take your kids, let your kids see the history and let your kids see the story. Cause guess what? They're not teaching it in school. That's true. So if nothing else, <laughs> that's important to take them. Yeah. Well, it's okay as me as a parent to take my kids so they can feel bad about something. <laughs> fuck right off. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No. Yeah. Yeah, we should be have awareness so we don't repeat it. That's the whole point of this talk. <laughs> I know. I know. And yet, it's cyclical. Where is it that we read that? That you go through these cyclical cycles of like 80 years in history and every 80 years it just repeats? Um, Maybe the one good thing that was on TikTok that we sent each other. <laughs> like you sent it to me and it's like every 80 years. Because, yeah, the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, the World War, one of them. And then now we're edging back up on it. So I'm like, awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. So the next thing I have on here is, uh, the gentleman named Herndon Inge. Mm -hmm. He was an interesting cat. So he's introduced and he's talking about, there's some city ordinances that have to do with some hibiscus trees that are on his property and you can't really do anything about them. And they are like, and I'm like, Oh, Oh, sounds great. He discusses that, he was a neighbor when he was a kid of a big Gus mayor and a little Gus mayor. So this is a father son. So he lived by big Gus and then later knew little Gus. And I'm like, that's, there's a lag one on there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he discussed specifically that they didn't really have flashy digs, right? So they didn't have a grandiose house. It wasn't like they drove crazy nice cars. I think they were kind of upper middle class, perhaps, and then as children and as they grew up, they heard a lot of rumors about what was going on mm -hmm. with the mayors and the Clotilda stuff. So he admits, this is Herndon, admits that his family were slave owners and he really feels, um, seems to feel some guilt over it. And so, you know, he talks about the romanticism of the Confederacy and the lost cause stuff and how um, their heroes were revered. And this is why this whole thing about the statues and they named the schools after Robert E. Lee and blah, blah, blah. So he said, it's really quite at odds 
with the story of the mares and the Cotilda and the descendants. And it's kind of really in the face of what people that live in the South have been taught, at least the white folks, right? Right. About their history. (laughs) So. Well, and one of the things he said is that losers generally accept the fact that they are losers. They don't name schools after Joseph Mengele. But in the South, we do. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. In Germany, they don't have anything named after these people that lost. They want to educate you, but they don't want to memorialize it. But not, yeah, no, the Confederacy is always like, oh, they'll rise again. Why? This lasted five years, maybe? My emo phase lasted longer than that. Right. Jesus, why is this such a big, why are people allowed to say that's my heritage when clearly it's not, you were not around then, that has nothing to do with you. And again, it was a very short period of time in history. Ugh. I mean, I think it's a, it's a great example of marketing, right? That shit is ingrained. Oh yeah, in the South. Yeah, yeah, Mm. it's amazing. So Emmett Lewis, who is one of the descendants, and he spends a lot of time in a graveyard with other descendants with Kojo's burial site. Monument. monument, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he takes us to Oakley House Museum in Mobile, Alabama. So this is a plantation house that has become a museum. And it's interesting as he sits there, he's like, I walked in, I sat in chairs that my ancestors probably couldn't even sit in, even though they slept in this house. And how hard that must have been. I've been into some of these and I I can't imagine what it would feel like. Like for me, it's just learning because I have no ties to it whatsoever. But he said, maybe some good came out of it, but most of it was evil. Yeah. Yeah. We cannot help but focus on the wrong part of this. Mm-hmm. Like these are sweeping, beautiful houses and, mm-hmm. you know, the history, but it's like, why do we not discuss how this was possible? <laughs> it is so the one i went to in charleston south carolina it was the whole property was essentially a museum and so they showed you the slave quarters they showed you um, the fields they talked about how the africans brought over with them how to raise raise and grow rice and grow these crops and these plantation owners would have done Nothing. They would not have been able to do anything without the knowledge these people brought with them. And everything they contributed to the economy, it really did focus on that. And I appreciated that they were propped up like, as in that was the education they were trying to give, not like this family. I don't even know whose family it was, this plantation home, but they really did a good job of that. And I appreciated that. I really like Emmett because he, he's in this featured in this a couple of times, right? And he's minding the ancestors in the cemetery. Mm-hmm. He's um, making sure that the grounds are cared for because those are the things that, I mean, I don't know that this is his job. It seems like it's almost like his calling and mm-hmm. it's like, he's got his kids in there and he's talking about different people. And um, later there's even a weird guy that I almost didn't get his name. Yeah. who's talking some rando. <laughs> yeah. In the cemetery. yeah. And, um, you know, kind of talking about, yeah, we don't, know everybody that's here because they didn't have money for stones. Mm -hmm. They weren't able to be preserved. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have lost some history and he is sort of at the uh, focal, he's the focus of not losing anymore. Right. I I really liked him. I did too. I loved how he said growing up in the graveyard, 
they got to the point where if people were telling ghost stories, they didn't think of them as ghost stories. They thought of it as their ancestors talking to them. And I really like that mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. There's nothing to fear here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I dig that. Uh, we kind of transition at this point to Kamal is working with some African-American kids and talking about swimming and possibly scuba diving and really trying to restore the connection to the marine environment. And that was an interesting perspective to talk about. Right. Well, they seem to have a, a really high rate of death by drowning in young people in this community. So they're trying to prevent that, teaching them how to swim, which absolutely. Mm-hmm. But he also made a link and he said, um, the training has a clear mission in mind, getting these young folks back connected to water, to the marine environment. And it's hoped they'll connect to the broader missions, particularly around the Clotilda. And I thought that seems like a really big stretch to me, learning to swim <laughs> in the Clotilda. But Just so you can go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they are teaching the scuba diving too. And he does very specific things with his scuba diving. So I get where he was coming from. But for me, I was like, well, that seems like a little bit much to put on the kids at this point. Let's just teach them how to swim and survive. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe instill a sense of purpose in them. I, I'm not really sure. Right. So then... There's Dr. Deborah Plant. She's the editor of Barracoon. Mm-hmm. She kind of emphasizes again that this all happened because a guy thought he had the right as a white man to do whatever the fuck he wanted. And I'm like, boy, that hasn't changed. No, not even a little bit. <laughs> God damn it. Right. February 8th is named Honor the Descendants of the Clotilde Day in Alabama. I hope the kids get the day off school. That's all I'm saying. And then this I find very interesting. So they're at the Spirit of Our Ancestors Festival. This is February 8th, 2020. So right before lockdown. Mm -hmm. And Michael Foster, who was a descendant of Captain Foster, went to the festival. And, you know, he he made a comment. He's like, it's kind of odd because my relative caused all of this. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, at least you have recognition of that fact. Right. Yeah. He even said his wife was like, do you, should you do this? Yeah. But they seem to be very open to meeting him. They seem to be very appreciative of him coming and saying, listen, sorry. I don't know what you say in that situation other than, listen, this is also my history, although I'm on the other side and it's horrible, but I want to celebrate with you what you've gained. Right. This is where I wrote Ben Rains, please shut up. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, it's like he's walking around just telling people, I'm the one who found it. Oh, we haven't met. I'm the one who found mm-hmm. it. And I'm just like, no. Shut up. Stop it. I know. It's so bad. So then it seems to me that Ben kind of instigates or organizes one of these, a boat trip to the Close Hilda site. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Foster, this is Michael Foster, there's a an Allen who was one of the descendants, a Lewis, who was obviously a descendant. And they're taking like a couple pictures and they're like, well, the last time it was just a really awkward moment where they're like, the last time people were on a boat right here. <laughs> like, and I'm just like, mm, these, these cameras are on you guys. I know. And I, and I, poor Michael trying to be like, well, my ancestor William Foster wasn't really that bad. He traded these or he treated these enslaved people real, real well. Oh, yeah, they they even said so. And poor Kamal was like, well, if you treated your slaves well, maybe you've missed the point. Yeah. He's like, good master, bad master, still a master. Yes. And I wanted to 
I just wanted to say to Michael, do you think maybe just, just maybe like they weren't saying what they really thought <laughs> to the people that were in charge of them to maybe gain some favor. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of intricate and complicated uh, dynamics going on in the, you know, to like appeal to the person who could kill you. I mean, it could be Stockholm syndrome. I don't know. <laughs> just like oh, my Michael, I know you're trying to uh, feel better about your family's position in this. However, you did a good thing by coming forward and admitting your family has something to do with it, stop there. Stop it. Right. I'm glad we're able to connect. Say no more. Yep. Just nod and smile. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You know, whatever. Absolutely. Man, oh man. Joycelyn. Yes. Joycelyn travels to Washington, D.C. She's with Mary Elliott at the Smithsonian. Mm -hmm. They're going for a tour of the mu museum. And it seemed to me that they're discussing a possible exhibit. Yes, that's what it sounds like, is that Mary was showing her why they set up their exhibits the way they did. And these exhibits are visually stunning, you guys. I have got right. to go see this. That's what I was thinking, too. They have a lot of visual representation to show you, not just, oh, they were brought over and they were enslaved. It was, this is where they came from. This was how they lived here beforehand and give them a history. And then also what happened after, and they these amazing things that these people survived and were able to, to go on and do. It was so well done. It was so well done. But yeah, giving her ideas of how they might set theirs up in Mobile. Right. And it was interesting because they had like a place to go and reflect. It was like kind of a rain pool situation. Mm -hmm. And Mary's saying, look, there are a lot of big things to process here. So maybe people need a place to come and sort of kind of, I don't know, process their thoughts and feelings mm -hmm. about this. And I was like, oh, somebody's good. Yes. She's so good yeah. at her job. She's so good. Man. I know. Can you imagine going through all this and then going right back out into, say, Washington, D.C., which is loud and it's crazy all the time. And it would just be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And this way you can take in what you've seen. You can absorb it. You can. Yes. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. What I also like is Mary gives Joycelyn hope about being able to do this in Mobile. Because Joycelyn is like, do you think people in Mobile will come to this? Well, they can't. Then it's not Washington, D.C. And she's like, absolutely. People want to learn. Tell your story. People want to learn your story. She's like, look at the people here. They're not all black. There are a lot of white people here learning too. And so it's not just going to be the people you think that will come and learn. Other people will come and learn too because you have a story to tell. And I like that she gave her that confidence to really go back and start. They do show the groundbreaking ceremony in Africatown for the new mm -hmm. Heritage House. I love that Joycelyn is excited about her future. She discusses how she doesn't know what's going to come in the future, but she's excited about it. And I thought, how interesting. Like you said, what a story arc for her. That she started right. off very ambivalent and now she's just right in the middle of it and she loves it and she loves what she's doing. And I just, so exciting. she says, I never thought my life would be so exciting. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what hope there is in that? Yeah. That was really cool. So then they discussed that the Africa town welcome center will be coming in the next three years. So there's quite a bit planned for this area which is great. 
The Heritage House was supposed to open the fall of 2022. Now I looked it up and I don't think it's open yet. I'm guessing because COVID hit. Sure. Delayed. That it got delayed. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it'll open soon. And so after, this is at the end of the documentary, they have a bunch of little blurbs. So they say, scans of the wreckage have revealed the Clotilda to be the most intact slave ship ever found. Again, even after the dynamite. So someone did a very good job of demolition there. How do you blow something up underwater? I mean, I know you do, but. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a demolition <laughs> expert. Yeah. <laughs> like the wily Coyote trying to get it done. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> It's believed that preserved DNA evidence might be able to link the living descendants directly to the ship. That would be exciting. And Mm -hmm. I I think, I think it would be a lot to take in. Like you've been told these stories your whole life, but to have that immediate direct connection might be overwhelming. I was interested in what DNA is preserved. I mean, because you're thinking, okay, well they found the ship. There's going to be DNA on the ship or how, how does DNA survive in the water that long? I'm no DNA expert. Nor so, <laughs> but it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I was just like, huh, I wonder what the, uh, what that technique's all about. Yeah. So I don't know. Anyway, they also discuss the invasive and polluting businesses are still pushing for permissive industrial zoning in these residential areas. Mm-hmm. However, this community is extremely active and they are fighting back. And it seems like really their kind of main focus now is this is a historical site Mm -hmm. and you guys can just fuck off. Yes. So that's what I'm hoping for. (laughs) I hope so too. Like, listen, Mm -hmm. this is now going to be a tourist area. We need it to look pretty. Get the fuck out. If nothing else, speak to the bottom line and maybe they'll get out. Right. I mean, possibly. Yeah. This is leased land by the way, in many cases. Mm -hmm. So least yeah they don't have the final say by the mayor family in many cases right on right on (laughs) yeah who as we said before they tried to reach the family for comment in the making of the film but they never got in touch with them so no responses so yeah that's it so this is a worthwhile watch i'm not going to say that it was always pleasant but i really enjoyed the proactive and the approach that they took to spin it. I mean, like to kind of frame it for you as in, this is a story that has some hope. Mm -hmm. I really liked that about it. Like we are concentrating on what's coming for these descendants, not necessarily like just the horrors of the past. Mm -hmm. So they're really embracing their power in this. And I thought that was really nice to see. I agree. I think it was a great story, one that I've never heard of. And I love how they're able to connect this group of people back to their ancestors. And a lot of African-Americans cannot do that. So mm-hmm. to be able to do that is a big deal. And especially as we're taught throughout this documentary, if you're separated from your ancestors in African culture, and there are a ton of different cultures in Africa. I know this, but this is what someone else said. Mm-hmm. Then you're kind of walking around lost in life. And so they now have that kind of closure and are able to heal. And I just, it is a hard story to hear at times, but it is a good story and it is very uplifting in the end and hopeful. And mm-hmm. that makes me happy. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting too, because there is a lot of interest in genealogy, right? So 
you know, think about all these like 23 and me mm-hmm. and ancestry and all those kinds of things. So I think that this, you know, could be something that any person could relate to. If you're a person who's interested in what your ancestry is, mm-hmm. it makes sense to me that why not everyone be interested in their ancestry and want to feel connected to where they came from. It just doesn't seem like that big of a leap to me that people who didn't have the choice are also wondering Mm -hmm. about themselves and their histories. I would think they would wonder more, right? Because you don't have that that filled in, right? I'm horrible. I don't have a huge desire to know every ancestor I had. I guess I know enough enough like the general is enough for you I know my grandparents yeah. came I know my dad came here when he was like 12 but by choice my family came here by choice so it's I don't I don't know they weren't very nice so I don't really care about them I mean my dad I'm sure was lovely but my um my grandparents weren't mm-hmm. very nice so I don't really need to know much about their family I guess yeah. but yeah I I can understand where you would want to know especially if you didn't it's like I can't remember if it was Kern or someone else who had said, it's like if you're adopted mm-hmm. and you don't know that part of your life, you feel a little bit lost. And so I completely understand that, wanting to know. Mm-hmm. My dad did a lot of research into genealogy before the DNA piece of mm-hmm. it was a thing. Like he just like looked at a lot of public records. So I know mm-hmm. a lot of that if I want to kind of explore it. Now he said that it's a thing that, that normally kind of, awakens or becomes an interest in you as you get older, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and maybe you're facing your own mortality. I don't know, but maybe it's not such a big deal for young people, but as you get older, mm-hmm. you get more curious about that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but to be limited in what you can find out, boy, wouldn't that change the scene, right? Absolutely. And your feelings about it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad they have some closure. And I hope that the Heritage House brings the community, brings the community money, not the government, not the state, yes. the community of Africatown. Mm-hmm. I hope that they're able to take that money and, and really work on the infrastructure and things like that, that they want and, and make the town what they want. Because, you know, the industry has seemed to have really kind of changed how that looks. And I'm a big fan of having more discussions about these kinds of topics. Mm-hmm. It's really important. And that's why we wanted to do it today to kind of bring attention to it. And I think that's great. Okay. So what are we doing for week three of Black History Month? So we're going to do Call Me Miss Cleo, which is a 2022 pick from HBO mm-hmm. Max, running an hour and 31 minutes. And... um if you're of a certain generation, I'm sure that you saw these commercials. For call me now. To call her on the psychic <laughs> call hotline. Me now. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, this should be a good one. I'm excited. I have seen it. It is a good one. I'm excited to watch it again. <laughs> oh, okay. Yay, yay. Okay, awesome. So beyond that, we'll ask you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at GoDocYourself. And I hope you have a great week. Thanks for joining yes. us. And we'll talk to you next week, guys. All right. Later. Bye.